welcome to another episode of Let's Talk About Thrones. This is episode 27, where we talk about episodes 603, Oathbreaker, and 604, Book of the Stranger. And I am Richard, and I am joined, as always, by my friends Jenny and Anthony. What say you, Jenny? Rawr! <laughs> I don't know. I'm just uh, going to be the dragon from now on. I was going to say it's, it's an interesting sigil the 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 many faced goblin that just jumps out <laughs> the night. <sighs> what say you, Anthony? I, I don't even know how to follow that up. Like I don't. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. all right. Um, this I will say that these were uh, man. I'm so excited about these episodes. This is so fun. This show is now, now the, the doldrums are over. It is now fun. Oh, these were awesome episodes. I loved, loved, loved these episodes. All right. So let's dive into it. I'm going to do a quick summary. We haven't done this in a while. I'm going to do the, you know, couple second summary of what happened in these two episodes. John's alive again, and he is pissed and tired of fighting. And Danny turns out she's the badass she thought she was. All right, there we go. Okay, and we'll see you next time. <laughs> <laughs> also, some scheming around getting people back from under the thumbs of the sparrows. But mm. let us start with John, because of course, we wake up at the start of this episode with John as he realizes, holy crap, what happened? Yeah. Uh, I have these scars on me. I remember being stabbed. What am I doing here? Yes. Um, so the key things here are, so Davos is the first in the room, of course. Um, and he immediately helps John. Then the red lady, Melisandre comes in and she starts grilling him. Like he's a witness in a, in a trial. She starts asking and him Davos questions. says, get out. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it, it was all kind of for bringing my friend back to life. G G T F O. And I thought gratitude. Was, Hashtag yeah. gratitude. I, I, I really love, she asked him like, what do you remember after you died? What do you remember of, of what, where you were? What happened? What did you see? And he goes, nothing. And again, the face acting is amazing. Her face, the the little bit of hope that she had left just like disappears and she doesn't know how to take that. And then that's when Davos says, won't you, uh, won't you give the man some time? He just came back from the dead. So that's, <laughs> and then John goes on to tell about, uh, basically how he failed at everything. He tried all the things that he knew how to do and he, he failed and eventually, um, he looks up at Davos and says, I failed. I tried all this and I failed. And Davos says, good. Now go fail again. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do more of that, okay? Because we really need you. I know you're probably tired, but this ain't over yet. Yeah. Yeah. And for, for again, for a character that wasn't even in the first season or two or whatever, first three seasons, I think, Davos is amazing. Moral oh, yeah. center. Oh, yeah. Mm. Absolutely. He continues to kind of be the voice of reason and provide good guidance. And even when the guidance is now to John, mm -hmm. he's kind of replaced Sam as being you know, like the voice in the ear of John. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and it's it it's not surprising how quickly he jumped into that role either. Like he just stepped right in because it's that's essentially what he's been this whole time is the voice of reason to somebody, even if Stannis was dumb and didn't listen. Right. He's the advisor. He plays a great advisor role. So John continues to kind of sulk a little bit about his fate and that Ollie was the one who actually did him in. And he has a really hard decision to make. What are you going to do with the traitors? Oh, I know. Let's hang them. Yeah. Uh, well, he has, a, he has a good moment with Ed uh, where he makes a joke. Um, and Ed's like, oh, that was funny. Are you sure it's really you? Um, <laughs> and uh, Yeah, that's true. The joke is, hold off on burning my body for now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, and it, it just shows the personality and the relationship they have and, and the kinship. And um again with the 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 now leader of the wildlings, he immediately recognizes what John is and embraces him and says, Yeah, this is this is a good thing. Like you stood up for our people, we stood up for you, we now have a kinship, we have a brotherly bond that goes beyond just our station in life. That was a huge moment for me, actually. Yeah. As the two of them embraced. I mean, how symbolic is that? You have these two basically enemies who've decided to work together. And you might think of this as just a convenient thing. Right. But there's general kinship between them. Yeah. Uh, Tormund Giantsbane is, again, just an amazing character and uh, acted out splendidly. And his relationship with John is one of the ones that will carry you through some of the hard times to come. Yeah. And also, like, he, again, like, Davos is a character. I'm trying to think if there's a moment when he's been wrong or untruthful. And I don't think there has been. And I, I, as far as I can tell, that he is along the same lines as Davos Seaworthy. Never wanted power, never wanted command, tries to always make the decision that's the best for the team. Yep. And has a real ground level view of life. And what we're getting is we're we're separating this idea of good and bad because the first couple seasons is all okay. Well, the Starks are good, and the Lannisters are bad, and Danny is apparently good. Uh, Varys, we don't know if he's good or bad, and you you kind of go away from that good bad thing to, well, this character is true and this character is not, you know, or yeah. or what their characters are true to. So Varys, we still don't know what he's true to other than the realm, but we don't really know where his. his loyalties genuinely lie Cersei it her loyalties lie within her family specifically to herself but to her family and you have people like Tormund who their loyalty is to their people and those are the ones that we really start becoming attracted to and really watch and those end up being our favorites mm-hmm. all right so now John gets to hang his traitors yeah so he has the four men, well, three men and a boy. Right. Basically in the stocks or whatever you call them, nooses around their respective necks, asking them if they have kind of any last thoughts or, you know, can they defend themselves or whatever. Yep. And of course, everybody just kind of reasserts their belief in the wrong that they did. Except Ollie, who says nothing. He just 
looks at John. Yeah. And this is one of those situations where, so you got uh, forgettable number one, forgettable number two, <laughs> and then Alistair Thorne, who basically says, yeah, I may have made the wrong call, but I would do it again. So at least right. he stands by his conviction. He, he he understands, well, you won, but I would have made the same decision. So at least he's genuine in that fact. And Ollie, he just can't see through his hate and his his disgust, and he just doesn't say anything at all. And um, there, there's a moment of, of thoughtfulness in John when he before he goes and swings the sword to pull the barrels out from the platform for them to hang. And you can see he kind of second guesses, like, am I making the right call? And then whether it's his resolve or his anger, I couldn't really uh, couldn't really grasp. But either way, one of those comes bubbling to the surface. He swings the sword and the four of them hang and die. I would argue that it's his resolve. I think that he knew this is what he had to do, even if he didn't want to do it. Ali had to be among them, even if that was killing him. When Ollie was looking at him with contempt and hatred and anger, John was looking at Ollie with with disappointment and and the the like the way that they stared at each other right before Ollie's death, I think, was just really poignant. So they are dead now, presumably everyone remaining at Castle Black is an ally. So we have this weird conversation with Davos and Malisandra, uh, kind of ask where where Davos is like. So um, you're sticking around, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. And 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 Melisandre's like, well, John is the prince that was promised, and Davos is like, wait, He's like, wait, 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 huh? <laughs> um, can we can we rehash the last five years and relook at this? Because that's not what you just were saying before. I feel like maybe the prince who was promised is like an honorarium and it can swap. <laughs> I, I joke about this, but I also think it's true. Like, like that it can swap if someone steers from the the path, the wrong path. Like mm. you could have seen Stannis really being the prince that was promised with a little help from shadow babies, but like, n but, but only thinking about the earthly and not thinking like power and not thinking about what's actually good for people. Right. And so, you know, that to me is interesting. Um, or he just wasn't at all. And, you know, also just to go back one click, uh, I think the only thing John's thinking about at that moment is Ned Stark, what Ned Stark told him in the beginning of the se the series, which was like, if you're going to kill someone, you got to do it yourself. Mm. So that goes into the, bucket of resolve but it made me think specifically about that moment yeah and there, there's a moment also where john hands the the high cloak or whatever over to ed and says you're you, you have castle black and Ed's like wait wait um what mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah he's done he's had it yeah. he is died he is sick of this he does not want to be in charge anymore yeah. he's tired of fighting he is done oh Oh, wait, is that Sansa? Yeah. Yeah. Well, but wait, I want to go back to this moment of the, him saying, now my watch is ended, <laughs> because he can do that because he died. It was like he swore an oath till death. He died, and now he came back. He's done. Like, 
the 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 lawyer in me that never was loves that technicality. Oh, yeah. It, it goes along with the technicality like he can't have a wife, but doesn't say he can't lay with a woman. Right. So, yeah, very similar. That's I didn't even think of that, but I love what you're saying there. Technically, he's he's fulfilled his obligation. He did this for his through his life. Now his life is over. This is a new life. He can go and do something else. Right. I kind of like that. Yeah. Uh, and that's what he's thinking he's going to do until Brienne and Pod basically march in with Sansa. Mm-hmm. And John and Sansa, who have never really gotten along... Are, or even connected, like saying that they got along, <laughs> they just didn't even like have interaction really. Yeah. Well, and as far as we know, any interaction that they had, and I'm stealing this from the HBO post show discussion, they were never on screen together. Mm-hmm. Right. The only time they were on screen was in the very opening scene when, um, or well, the the scene where. Uh, the king arrives at Winterfell and they show the entire family. Other than that, they were never on screen together. And even in that, even in that scene, he was still off on the side. Like he, he was part of the crowd essentially, whereas she was front and center. So they reunite. And uh, of course, at this point, they think they're the only two Starks remaining. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so they embrace and they basically catch up and have some interesting and honest conversation. You know, I was never really nice to you. Oh, it's okay. You were young. And no, I was pretty terrible. And I mean, you see that Sansa's grown up and and Sansa has a lot of regrets. She even says, don't you wish we could go back to that point before we left? I wish I'd never gone. She says she'd yell at herself. <laughs> yeah. Um, and here's another thing, the embrace. You, you talk about growing up. Kit Harrington is older than, um, than uh, dang it, uh, now I can't remember her name. But the, Sophie Turner. Uh, Sophie Turner, that, that plays Sansa. Um, when they started, they were about the same height, but Sophie Turner has continued to grow a few inches. So now when they embrace, and they hide this pretty well with the shots that they have, but Sophie Turner is several inches taller than Kit Harrington. It's like <laughs> hugging a hobbit. Yeah. Like an elf <laughs> hugging a hobbit. Well, also, he cut off a lot of his unnecessary hair, so he's shorter anyway. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, they, 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 shot it, they shot it well to where it didn't make that too blatant and obvious. Um, and then you have to realize that Brienne, uh, what, what, uh, what's her name that plays Brienne? She's way taller than Sophie Turner. So it's like this. Right. But in the scenes, they keep them pretty much all the same height with some some trickery and some camera angles. And Gwendolyn Christie. Gwendolyn Christie, yes. And uh, yeah, it's, it's it's it was interesting to to see that scene again, being able to pay attention to that stuff instead of just the storyline. I thought it was pretty funny. Yeah. Also, it's just finally two Starks get to be in the world together. Right. Uh, Starks. Yeah. Yep. Because yeah. I mean, yep. see. Um, uh, Sansa knows that that Bran and um, Rickon. Rickon, there we go. I, I've got his name written down right here. I just didn't want to look down. Uh, <laughs> I like that my role in this week's episode is Game of Thrones computer. <laughs> <laughs> Bran and Rickon didn't die by Theon's hand, but she doesn't know anything past that. She doesn't know any, anything beyond that. John doesn't even know really that. 
And Sansa also knows that Arya was seen most likely by Brienne before Brienne found Sansa. So, but yeah. she can't confirm that. She she just has, you know, Brienne's word and Brienne is pretty resolute that that was her, which we know it was. But so th- as far as like who else, what other Starks are alive out there? These are the only two definites they know. This is it. This is all the 100% survived Starks in the world together. Right. And so suddenly Sansa is on a mission. Hmm. She's like, get your men. Let's go retake Winterfell. Mm-hmm. And John is just not interested. No, he's done fighting, just like you said earlier. So let's leave that there, because I think we need to talk about our creepy friend, Ramsey. <laughs> <laughs> this, so I was wondering if you, if you made this connection, uh, Richard, when... So go, go on about Ramsey, and then, then I'll, I'll tell you where the connection, I think, um, could have been made if you made it. Uh, okay. So, you know, Ramsey's in charge now. And for some reason he, and I don't really understand the nuance of this and I don't even why I don't even think that I got his name right, but he has a visit from Lord Umber. Is that correct? And he's basically asking Ramsey for some assistance against the wildlings. Right. And, and as a gift, he brings Ramsey, Rick and Stark and Osha. Mm-hmm. Now, th- did you, do you remember this, how this went? Do I remember how it went? When, I when Brandon, when Brandon, understand your question, when Brandon, Rick and split up, Osha and Rickon went to the Umbers for protection because the Umbers were faithful to the Stark family. Mm. So that's where they went. Now we know that he got there because we haven't seen him since. Right. And now we know that they got there and the Umbers turn around and say, well, we need, we're not going to bend the knee. We're not going to swear allegiance or anything else. We need your help and we're willing to pay by way of a Stark. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. A feral Stark, basically. <laughs> right. Because like Rickon. Poor was, Rickon <laughs> is feral. Yeah. <laughs> he he was never, he was always the, the wild one, the one that, you know, was not, not tameable, like you said. So, yeah. Um, this is a very poor set of events for Rickon and Osha. Yeah, it is. And so we we basically have let's let's move on with the OSHA thing. We end up with this scene where OSHA gets cleaned up, comes and uh tries to seduce, if you will, Ramsey, but she has ulterior motives. He also knows that like kind of what's going on and beats her to the punch as she's trying to kill him by killing her. Right. Basically taking her out of the picture. Now he has Rickon. Yep. And he decides that he's going to use that to his advantage. So now let's go back to castle black in castle black. Sansa doesn't like the food. (laughs) 
<laughs> oh, yeah. Sansa doesn't like the food. And can you blame her? And uh, again, Ed, great line. Sorry about the food. It's not what we're known for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, but, and plus, now they don't have Sam up there cooking the food. So, like, you know it's bad. <laughs> yeah, it, it's not going to be good. Uh, but even before that, I want to remind everyone that Brienne's in town. Like, badass Brienne's in town. And earlier, as she hears Melisandre and Stannis, or sorry, Melisandre and Davos talking about, you know, oh, well, what happened to Stannis and so on. Brienne basically breaks into the conversation and says, oh, uh, Stannis is dead. I killed him. Yeah. And while, while that's a pointed statement, it also um, kind of shows one of the, fall- the fallibilities of Brienne in that she interrupts Davos's question about Shireen and turns it to Stannis, this area where she, fe- she felt slighted. Um, so Davos doesn't actually hear that Shireen was put to the, the torch and burned alive because it was directed, the, the conversation was directed Brienne's way towards what happened to Stannis. And I thought that was an interesting little little part of Brienne that I didn't realize the first time I watched it. That, you know, even though she witnessed this child, from, well, she witnessed him from afar, this child being burned at the stake, she turns the conversation over to the part she had in it. Yeah, in fact, she doesn't even come clean about what happened to the girl. Right, right. She so as far it. as we know, Davos doesn't learn her fate, even though that's what he was really asking about. Mm-hmm. What happened to Stannis? What happened to, to the girl? Yep, exactly. So back at Castle Black, again, Sansa wants to take Winterfell, how she's going to do this. Who knows? But word has come to the Night's Watch. Well, the what's what was his title before? The something, something, something of the... Anyway, he's like, I'm not that anymore. Lord Commander. But Lord Commander. But he takes the message anyway, and he reads it. And it's from Ramsey, who basically says as much horrible stuff as he can in on one piece of paper, trying to lure them to come after him. And he doesn't make his his intentions quiet either. He says several times in the letter, "Come and see." You know, it, oh, yeah. it's it's a direct goading. It's hey, I want to do this. Let's make this happen. Oh yeah, I, and he's like, you know, I'm going to skin you. I'm going. You're going to watch me skin all of your people, and then I will feed Sansa's brother or your brother to the hounds and I will rape Sansa. I mean, just all of this stuff. Oh, by the way, I want my Sansa back. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. just as, as horrible as it can be and probably just enough to get under John's skin to get his ass in motion. Right. And that's when uh, John talks to Tormund and says, well, how many men do you have? And they have 2000 men compared to Ramsey's, 6,000 men. Yeah, but they're wildlings. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. It's, that's going to be interesting. 
But also, don't we have some conversation about John being able to appeal to some houses that should be loyal to him if he needs them to be? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Umbers and the Karstarks. Wait, the Karstarks. Oh, well, the, that's a concern. The Karstarks aren't loyal to the Starks anymore since Rob cut off Lord Karstark's head, and the Umbers just gave away a Stark as payment oh, for protection. yeah. So hmm. maybe not so much. Right. That's that's going to be troublesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's where we leave Rob and Sansa. Mm, yep. John and Sansa, but yes. Yeah. Sorry. I keep on. I have. I wrote. Spoiler Rob. alert. Rob's <laughs> yeah, dead. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> I wrote Rob so many times and had to go back and retype John. I don't know why I have Rob in my head right now. Oh, it's because he has short hair now and he doesn't look like an animal. <laughs> that must be it. Oh, goodness. <laughs> All right, so uh, lots of other crazy stuff going on. Let's uh, let's talk about the other weird intrigue thing. Peter, okay, creepy Peter mm-hmm. is visiting creepy Robin. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, and spends a little bit of time basically uh, flexing his muscles and beating his chest, demonstrating to Lord Royce that Robin is basically under. Peter's control. Right. And the the benefit of this is that he plays Robin to get Robin to commit troops to fight Winterfell to recover Sansa. Oh, right. Lord Royce's troops. Yeah. Yeah. Funny how that works, huh? <laughs> that sounds like a good idea. You know, I don't know. What should we do if, I mean, if Sansa's alive, what do you think we should do? Oh, you think we should go Help? Oh, that's that's a good idea. That's what I would have said, too. Yeah, and this, again, just shows how slow Robin is. He's not all there. <laughs> no kidding. Really? Because remember, uh, Sansa's the, the girl that Robin didn't really like in the first place. <laughs> well, right. <laughs> Although, if you want, you could argue, okay, but family. Right. Yeah. And, and that's the angle he takes, and that's why Littlefinger gets his way in this one. And... Yeah, we'll see how that goes. All right, let's talk about more Starks. Bran. Bran. And the old man are watching Young Ned. Or as I call it, Honorable Young Ned. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, seriously. And they already picked the the actor. How about that? Mm -hmm. So uh, Honorable Young Ned, maybe not quite as honorable as everybody thought. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I mean... Ned wasn't not honorable, but he may have taken credit for some things that didn't exactly go the way that the people believed they went. Dude, how is that not not honorable? <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, I, I guess know I guess it's a technicality Ned. that is is it is it is it a lie to not correct people? Like you just let them believe whatever. Well, but how would they believe whatever if he hadn't told them? Well, he would have to tell. He was the last. So basically, he's fighting some people. I have no idea who they are or why they're fighting, but they're going at it. And the two leaders, he and this other guy, are the only people left, supposedly. But no, one of Ned's comrades, before he actually dies, decides to stab the opposing dude in the back 
And then Ned gets to finish the job and kill him from the front. Right. Who's going to tell that story if not Ned? I mean, does the other guy survive? Because I'm led to believe that he's gone. He he does. That that is Helen Reed, and he um oh he okay. is uh, uh uh Jojen and Mira's father, who sent Jojen and Mira up to help Brand. Okay, so then what? How does this play out? He isn't going to admit to killing someone by stabbing them in the back. So he supports this story or tells this story that Ned killed the dude. Well, if you have the, the guy was the, the sword of the morning. He was the most famous swordman at the time. He is Rhaegar's uh, right-hand man. Rhaegar is the mad King's son. Rhaegar was killed at the trident by, um, by, uh, uh, King. What's his dang name? So many names. Uh I don't know, but help me out with something. We are three scenes in. This happens three scenes in to the first of the episodes we're talking about. Mm-hmm. How the hell are we supposed to know that? You're not. Um, well, <laughs> they gave them talking about all these people for six seasons. They they gave a little bit of it in exposition from uh, Bran and the Three Eyed Raven. And then the rest of it is stuff you kind of fill in as you go along and learn a little bit more about the story. Like people have been talking about Arthur Dane's sword of the morning. Like, yeah, it's like how in the wire people talk about like people that you don't know. And then you meet them three seasons later. It's that sort of a thing. Like that's the game they're playing. But yeah, it ta- it's a deep cut. You basically have to Google it. Yeah. All right. Well, I didn't Google it, so I didn't know what was going on there. But one interesting thing here is that as Bran is once again kind of defying the Three-Eyed Raven in leaving when he says, he calls after Ned as Ned walks away. And Ned stops Mm -hmm. and turns around and doesn't see anything. Earth-shaking! Bran has reason to believe that he just somehow communicated with his father in the past through this vision. Right. Which that one simple thing set the internet ablaze. <laughs> I'll bet. <laughs> ablaze. It, it, it did. And it's, it's probably the central thing to a third of the theories about the show at this yeah. point. Um, Brand's abilities to communicate through the weirwood net and past messages from the, the future to the past and from the past to the future. So that it's still a, a very large point of contention and uh, theory crafting. Quantum leap thrones. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. You sum up all the theories in three words. <laughs> so how about Arya? Let's talk of a girl with no name. Mm. Uh, and so a girl is getting smacked around and tested more. Yes. This time in in the house of black and white, at least. So at least she's not just begging on the streets, getting beat up at random times. Well, that's true. But it's the same obnoxious girl <laughs> that's... That's beaten her. Yes. Like, what is this girl's issue? And, and th- this is one of those things. We don't know how much time passes. We don't know if this is a matter of a couple days, a couple weeks, or a couple years. Like, we, there's, there's nothing, there's no, ex- there are no external shots to give us any semblance of time or anything else. But eventually, Arya 
starts defending herself fairly well. Well enough that once again, Jagun Jagar or whatever his name is, he kind of comes into the scene, you know, okay, so she passed another test and he again says, I'll give your eyesight back or I'll give a girl her eyesight back. And, uh, she says, a girl has no, no name. she has no name. And he takes her to the well and has her drink from the well, telling her that he has, she has nothing to fear if she indeed has no name. Right. So she drinks and she's still alive as far as we know. Yep. She gets her eyesight back. Um, yeah. Uh, welcome, welcome to Aria 3.0. Okay, so I have one question mm-hmm. in this sequence of events. What was going on when she was like mixing what looked like chemicals or something like that out of these vials? She was using a spoon or something and and selecting from these vials while she was still blind. What was that about? So that in particular, it doesn't have any major bearing on the story. I think it was just another testament that she's not just getting the crap beat out of her. She's doing other things and having to pass other trials. I think it was a a parallel lesson. They were just trying to demonstrate that she succeeds at something, even though she has no eyesight. She's using her other senses. She's using her sense of smell to pick the right chemical to or, or powder or whatever. She's using touch mm-hmm. to feel the right bottle. And then she mixes it in and doesn't have a bad result. So she's succeeding at using things other than her sight. She's relying on, on other senses to get to, to survive and to live. Okay. All right. Uh, see, this is why I get confused because here's a scene that they spend a lot of time showing repeatedly in this sequence. And I assume it's important. Whereas, There's other stuff that happens in like three seconds and somehow that was in fact important. Right. Whatever. (laughs) All right. I think we're done with all of the Starks. Let's cover Sam and Gilly real quick because that's a interesting little thing and then it goes away. Like, yeah, I mean, it's almost not even worth mentioning. They're on a ship. He's getting sick. He tells her that, oh, yeah, no, we're actually not going to be together. I'm going to take you to where my family is. You'll stay with them. You'll be safe. But I want to go with you. Well, you can't go with me. Right. That's pretty much the conversation. It, it really is. It's it's uh, Sam showing that he's trying to plan ahead and Gilly expressing that she trusts him even if she doesn't think that, that, that even if she doesn't agree. She trusts him and she's willing to go with him. So it's that's really all the scene was, besides the little comic relief with Sam getting sick uh, <laughs> uncontrollably on the boat. Oh, one more thing. Was there a hint that, in fact, she's pregnant with his child? That, she refers to him as the father of her child. Right. Um, that might have been a hint. I'm not going to expand on that. Okay, whatever. <laughs> that is our rule. I understand. No spoilers. <sighs> All right. Well, how about King's Landing? In King's Landing, there's always some fun stuff going on. So, how about Kyburn, King- aka Creeper McCreeperston? Yeah, right. <laughs> Dr. Frankenstein is, um, he's bribing little children 
with candy. This is such a creepy freaking scene for whispers. He, he, he wants to hear what people are whispering and the children will bring him this information if he gives them candy and tell your friends, I'll give them candy too. Now, here's the interesting part. This is the same thing that Varys was doing. He was bribing <laughs> the kids, but it's a lot less creepy when it's a eunuch that can't be a molester to a certain capacity. And it just kind of happens in the background. But when you have Kyburn doing it right in your face, it's just cringeworthy the entire time. Yeah, it it's horrific. I I would um I would take uh, 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 I don't know what the right word is, but I would disagree <laughs> with your statement that a unit can't be a molester. But um, yeah, this is so so creepy, and they're interrupted by. Cersei coming in with the creepy mountain or whatever they're calling him these days. Uh, she still she still calls him uh, oh dang it Lord whatever, um, but yeah he's he's clearly Franken Mountain. Franken Mountain, yes. And children, don't be afraid. He's harmless. So they all run out. He, she basically says, okay, that thing that you're doing, I keep on doing that. Expand your scope. I want to hear everything that anyone is saying if they've ever said anything bad about what happened to me or my son or yep. anyone else. I think it's interesting that she even mentions Castle Black. Like she thinks there's children running around Castle Black that he can, you know, <laughs> like. <laughs> Uh, nope, Ollie's dead now. Yeah, hey Cersei, uh, they just got rid of the only one, so you might you might need some other routes around that. But yeah, well, speaking of Franken Mountain, Franken Mountain. Uh, so one of the dudes on the council is speaking ill of Franken Mountain, and then who's in the room but the Mountain and Cersei and Jamie? Mm -hmm. Yeah, the small council is not too fond of Franken Mountain or Cersei's interruptions. So they're like, well, we can't make you leave. So we'll leave. And they just all leave. This is another delightful power play between Cersei and Lady Tyrell. Yes. Lady Tyrell, like, why are you even here? What's going on? Or Jamie, or Cersei's asking her, you know, why are you even here? And, uh, they're asking, why is Jamie here? Mm -hmm. And they basically put chairs out and Jamie sits at the table. And that's when they're like, well, all right, we don't have to stay. And they all leave. I love that. It was a beautiful scene. Yeah. Especially um, Maester Picel getting away from the table and scurrying around Franken Mountain. Like he looks at him and he <laughs> grabs up his robes and kind of hurries out but then later you see him when he's talking to Tommen and he goes to leave and he's trying to you know supposedly leaving in a hurry and he's actually going like super slow and I think those two scenes really uh, you know kind of play to Pycelle's uh, personality and we know by now that because it was just in the scene prior that the mountain understands everything he's hearing. Right. Because Jamie was trying to call him out on some stuff, you know, talking about how <laughs> stupid he was back before, uh, uh, over and killed him. Uh, is, is he able to understand anything now? 
Uh, and he, re- the mountain responds, Franken mountain responds. So Jamie's convinced. Okay. Jamie's on board. All right, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> My bad. Yeah. So, all right. So still kind of in that general area, Tommen gets a set of balls and decides to go speak to the head sparrow. Yep. Who in turn more or less charms Tommen. Yes, because you have a strong-willed and a weak-willed, and that's not going to turn out very well for Tommen. So Tommen goes basically to demand to see uh, his his uh, wife and, um, I, I assume, nephew? Or no, what would he be? Whatever. Brother-in-law. Brother-in-law. And the, he is you know, kind of arguing with him. He's like, oh, no, 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 you can't. She has to atone for her sins. Why? And and your mother is going to face trial. Why does she have to face trial? Because she has to atone for her sins. But she already did. So it, basically, the head sparrow ends up sitting him down and just telling him a story and appealing to him and uh, basically Spins his de, tail. De-clawing uh, him, if you will, to the extent that Tommen had any claws. Right. <laughs> right. He, he removes a little bit of Cersei's uh, uh, influence over Tommen, and those are the only claws Tommen really had. So, yeah. 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 Now, while we're over there at, with the sparrows, meanwhile, the tall woman, who actually isn't all that tall, it's just the camera angle, and a very high belt line on her gown that she wears, she brings a cleaned-up Marjorie to the head sparrow. Mm-hmm. So, so, first question, why does all this happen? She's see, she gets to see the sparrow. They talk. The sparrow says, oh, but if you go home, you're just going to get caught up in all of the wiles of beautiful things and and money and all this stuff. And that's not, you know, I mean, I can't blame you because I did that once too, mm-hmm. trying to appeal to her now, and then gives her permission to see Loras. Mm-hmm. Loras is a mess. He looks like she did last we saw her. And he is broken. Yeah, he has no resolve left. He's ready to give up, say whatever they need him to yep. say, just get him back to some semblance of the life he had prior to the the black cells. Yep. Okay, let's backtrack. Why is Marjorie cleaned up? Did she confess? Tommen went to see the High Sparrow. The High Sparrow now recognizes that Tommen's primary concern is for Marjorie. If the High Sparrow wants to have the king in his pocket, it would play well to have Marjorie as a pawn as well. So he uh, basically allows Marjorie to go see her brother in order to convince Marjorie that he's on her side and that she has a path of absolution. But we see when Marjorie is talking to Loris that she knows it's a fluke. She knows it's it's not real. It's just part of the game. And she's trying to get... Uh, Loras to maintain resolve and and not to break under their pressure because if if Loras breaks 
the High Sparrow will use that against Marjorie, and again, use Marjorie to hold Tommen in check, and therefore the High Sparrow is now essentially the king. Because if you control the king, you wield the king's power. And interestingly, in their conversation, though Tommen, I don't think, gets this, in the conversation between Tommen and the High Sparrow, he tells Tommen, well, they're basically, you know, two supports to the world. There's religion and there's royalty. <laughs> or what, you know, I forget what words he used there. Right. But it, you know, essentially equating himself to the king. Right. Right. In, in, and in, then symbolically sitting down on the same bench with the king. Yes. And at the same time, he also tells, tells Tom and well, the king rules through the powers of the gods. So he's even saying, not even saying he's equivalent. He's saying that, well, I'm a direct messenger for the gods and you act on behalf of the gods. So like the gods are the, are the higher power and I'm kind of closer to them than you are. It's total power play. Everything with the High Sparrow yeah. in the last episode and this episode are power plays. And he's playing it very, very well. For a cobbler, he knows how to play this game. Oh, absolutely. And what's beautiful about him, the way that Price plays him, he comes across as feeble. Yeah. Even though he's so sharp. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, All right. Well, then it sure is a good thing that Tommen has someone that he can rely on and trust implicitly. Like Cersei tells him, I am your mother. You can always trust me. That happens literally three seconds before Jamie and Cersei sit down with some people from the council to plot against the king's desire to not do anything and go and recapture the queen. Right, because Cersei has different loyalties. Cersei sees the threat that the High Sparrow is. He's seizing control of, over her son, the king, and she's not going to have that. And she has pieces in place in order to make it happen. She has a plan to get uh, Olena Tyrell's armies uh, to to basically take the city and get rid of the High Sparrow without a failure, meaning that the king would be implicated. So this is this is all part of Cersei's grand plan. And frankly, it was kind of cool to see Cersei, Jamie, Lady Tyrell, and who's the guy who's the hand of the king? I forget his name. Cousin Kevin. Okay. Basically sitting down and working together. Right. This is the the whole enemy of my enemy is my friend. And they played that out perfectly in the conversation. Exactly. So, yep. yeah. That's pretty much it for the goings on in King's Landing. There is one more side story that we should at least touch because it doesn't make a whole lot of, well, it doesn't matter a whole lot here, but I'm sure it will at some point. So Theon's home. Yep. Hi, Yara. Sorry. Yep. That's it. Okay, that was all. Yep, yep. there we go. Okay, good. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And you're right. It it plays directly into the next episodes. um, But really, it's kind of like just a touching of bases here, just to remind you that that's an active storyline. 
All right. So the last storyline that we are left with then is what's happening back in Marine and Vestathrak. Very good. Very good. I had to go back and listen again so I could get it right. (laughs) Yeah. This is actually one of the... I wrote the Dothraki C because I couldn't remember Vase Dothrak. Um, but once I remembered it, it's it's like one of my favorite made up words in this entire show. It just it <laughs> it has a comforting yet strong sound to it. And I just it, it, knowing that what what happens there, you know, that all the great calls go there to to commune and um, that there's no fighting or no weapons allowed. It's like this peaceful place, and yet it's the the stronghold of the Dothraki horde. Like the name is perfect for what this place is. Yeah. And so, you know, we see that, um, well, let's actually start back in Marine. Yes. So in Marine, we know that we have the, the odd four that are left together. We have <laughs> Varys, we have Tyrion, we have Grey Worm and Missandre. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, they're left in charge, right? And uh, they, they've they've uh, last last episodes we talked about them coming up with a plan to quell the uprisings in Yunkai and uh, Astapor, and that Volantis is involved as well. So now Varys does what he does and finds the right person for the job and the right price to pay, and this young lady Vala. And her son are given money and passage out of there if she'll tell him who's paying for what for the sins of the harpy. And it goes perfectly. I would like to think in my own mind that Varys had this a couple times and failed at some of the others. He's just not batting 100% <laughs> on the on the subtleties here. But um, either way, the one that they showed in the show works. And now they know that Volantis, Yunkai, and Estapor are the three players that are aiding the sons of the harpy. Meanwhile, so good. Meanwhile, the small council. While that's <laughs> happening, Tyrion's trying to make small talk with Grey Worm and Missandre. What do you guys talk about? Uh, patrol. Yeah, <laughs> who, who we see on patrol, who who we uh, talk to on patrol, and very who we good. kill on very patrol. Good, very good on your accent there. I'm impressed. <laughs> I had to watch it twice because I'd missed the details. So I'd rewind and saw it again. I started laughing the second time. It was hysterical. <laughs> it was so funny. Tyrion, who is a conversationalist, basically is trying to communicate with Grey Worm, who only communicates on need, more or less. Yes. And, and, and at one point he calls on Masande. He's like, you speak 19 language. surely languages. Surely some of them have conversation. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. And, and Missandre and, and then tries to say, okay, well, maybe we could play a drinking game. Uh, we, no. we don't drink. No, they don't drink. <laughs> so that's not going to work. Maybe we could play another. No, that wouldn't be appropriate. So. Well, well cause they, he says they, we, we can play, uh, uh, um, oh, he said some kind of game. Um, you play games and Missandre is like, where I come from, they only play one kind of game. And, and he's like, oh, no, no, not that, not that kind of game. No. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, yeah. So basically they don't know how to talk to each other. He tries to get some information after him and realizes that that game's not going to work if he's the only one drinking. Um, 
And then Varys shows up. It's okay, up. though, because Varys comes back. Yeah, Varys shows up, perfect, perfectly timed, and says, I found and out who it like, is. I know who did it. We're good. We're set. We just, you know, we need to talk to some people. <laughs> yeah. And then we go into the episode four, um, where Tyrion has gathered the leaders of Astapor, Volantis, and Yunkai. I'm going to say it as many times as I need to justify rewinding and writing this shit down. I was going to say, I just said he meets and negotiates with the masters. <laughs> um, and basically says that we'll give you seven years to quell slavery. We're not going to take him away right now and that you will be compensated eventually as slavery disappears so that you don't feel slighted. The people are free. We've met a negotiation and then immediately leaves that. And uh, Grey Worm and, and Masande are there and they are not happy with this at all, both being former slaves. Um, he then talks to the leaders of the slaves there in Marine, tells them what's going on, and they don't like it either, but at least we have some sort of accord between everything, and there's a resolution, and a bad resolution is better than no resolution, so if, I, if I'm going to get rid of slavery and I'm going to get rid of war, well, which one do I concentrate on first, because I can't do both at the same time? Well, and I think the argument was that you ha- you're going to have one or the other. You're either going to have war or you're going to have slavery slavery you're not going to get rid of both and you that's not what you want in the long run right so uh, the the solution that he comes up with basically allows them to get rid of slavery over time and when he's challenged by the slaves the, the those who are representing the slaves Interestingly, Grey Worm and Missandre stick by Tyrion. Right. And basically they stick by him by by more or less saying, you know, that this is the this is the best that we can get at this point and this isn't for me to say otherwise or something like it, you know, mm-hmm. Grey Worm is like, "Well, I'm no politician." Right. <laughs> so M- M- Missandre is uh, understandably a little bit more delicate with her words. Um, right, but immediately after both of them, I don't, I want to say attack, but they they challenge Tyrion in yeah, the decisions, absolutely. and Grey Worm is like, "Don't use me as a pawn anymore." And uh, they they both make their their you know what they, they they make their feelings known to Tyrion that they're not on board with this. They supported him because the Queen supports him, but they don't personally support what he's saying or what he's planning on doing. And that's when he's like, "Look, this is this is all I can do right now." Right? Yeah. It, it's. A, I mean, there are a lot of things there that I like. Uh, one of the biggest is that they just showed their dedication to him because he's a representative of the queen, right? And they didn't have to do that necessarily, right? right? But uh, yeah, it was and, it was and- good. I liked how that played out. And at the same time, it, it, they power checked Tyrion. Like, hey, it, it, they didn't come out and say it that way, but it was like, look, we know, we know where you stand in all this, and you know, we're going to call you out on the stuff. Maybe not in front of people, but we're we're going to voice our opinions. So, yeah, absolutely. All right. So now that we've handled the politics in Marine, let's go to what's going on with Daenerys. Daenerys is taken to the this this land where 
Vase Dothrak, where all of these Dothraki are going, and there you have people <clears throat> meeting in this religious. Uh, I want to call it a hut, but I think it's they use a different word, and I forget what the word was. Basically, a temple. Right. It, it's the biggest building, the largest building in Vase Dothrak, and it's like kind of like the the epitome of the Dothraki architecture other than the stallions that are at the entrance to the valley. Like this is the best they do. <laughs> yeah. Well, and really that's the only building there. Everything else I would consider an actual hut. Right. right? It's like, temporary. <laughs> there, there are other things there, but they are, they are tiny little huts. And one of those huts is where she is supposedly going to be taken to, well, not supposedly where she is taken to basically hang out with the other former wives of Dead Call. Yes. And they are the advisory body of the calls. That's it's who even even in the masculine dominated Dothraki society, they have a council of women to guide the men who are leading the calls. So the oh, the callisars. Um and it's an interesting take on the Dothraki. It's an interesting view in their politics and their, their decision-making. And this is where they want to put her if she's worthy, if they find her worthy. Uh, typically, you would just automatically, once you become a widow of a call, you would just go and be part of this group, which I have written down somewhere. <laughs> the name of this group. Um but because she went out into the world and she didn't follow the rules that she was supposed to follow, now the council of calls has to approve what to do with her. Right, because she didn't follow the rules. Dosh Kaleen. So, okay. Yeah, that's what the council of women is called, Dosh Kaleen. Uh, okay, that. So she didn't follow the rules, so she could be, you know, given to someone or sold as a slave or what have you. Yeah, they could decide what they're going to do with her. Mm -hmm. And she's counseled by, I guess the most senior yes. of the former wives. Yep. The oldest one, the, the one that's been there the longest. And so she comes in with, you know, her attitude. I'm the mother of dragons, the freer of slaves. The And the older woman counsels her that, look, you just, you, you, you're better off if you just like play along. You want to be here with us and play it cool because you don't want to know what's going to happen if they don't agree to let you stay here. Right. This is the best you can hope for. But we know that Dario and Jora have been wandering through the desert for what must be weeks now because yep. they both look filthy. <laughs> Uh, and there's one point where where uh, Jorah is telling Dario, "Hey, we got to hide our weapons because you know if we get caught, at least if we're not armed, we can try to talk our way out of it. If we are armed, then it's going to be an instant death." And this little exchange happens where Dario finds out that Jorah has the grayscale. Yep, and he says, "You know what happens?" And Jorah's like, "Yes, I know what happens." And don't worry, it didn't touch you. You're safe. Yeah. And Dario takes the opportunity to say, all right, well, I'll hide my own sword. Yeah. And he does on himself. <laughs> yeah, because that's the thing. And they end up getting in a tussle once they get into um, this Dothrak. And 
the dagger comes in handy to finish a fight that Jorah was losing. But yeah, but now they have so, bigger problems because now they got to hide a body. Right. So now we have someone that's been stabbed, and they're going to know that he's been stabbed. But yay, we had this weapon. That's good. Now, what are you going to do? I guess the only thing you can do is basically Cover. bludgeon him to a pulp. Yep. Yep. Hide the evidence. So they, they okay. bludgeon him to a pulp. Um, so there you go. They bludgeon him to a pulp. Meanwhile, Daenerys has convinced one of the other former wives, one of the other uh, Khaleesi, to go on a walk with her. Well, she had to pee, so... Oh, right. Okay, so whatever. She, she went to leave, and the younger lady was there to escort her to make sure she didn't cause any ruckus. Okay. And they, whatever. they get subdued by um, our, our, our fateless heroes. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, so while they're out there, we basically have those two bonding, but then they encounter uh, Jorah and Dario, Dario. and Dario, I believe it's Dario, has his hand over the other woman's mouth, Mm -hmm. and Daenerys basically says, no, 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 no. it's okay. We, Let her go. We, she will help us. We can trust Talks her. Talks to her, the woman. Yep. We can. Tr- you can trust me. Uh, and and then they let her go. And so presumably you think that they're going to escape with some plan that is going to require this woman's help. Well, I don't quite know the, how this plan required this woman's help because the next thing we know in this storyline, Daenerys is in the temple, Mm -hmm. and the men are deciding what is to become of her. Right. And they're threatening all kinds of stuff. Well, you know, I could give you to them, and then they'll rape you, and maybe I'll get some horses in in return, or... I could, uh, you know, or you know, we could just all have our way with you. She starts, that would yeah, be fun. Yeah, she starts mouthing off, and he's like, "Okay, fine. This is what we're gonna do. We're gonna all have our way with you. I'll start. They'll all take their <laughs> turns, and then we'll give give you to the horses after we give them. We'll give you to the blood riders, and then the horses. And if there's anything left, and you know, and it's it, and that's when she's like, "Okay, I'm done playing the game. I'm done. This is this is over." So she decides to show everybody what a badass she is, and if there was any question before that she has powers beyond a normal human being there is no more question because she she puts her hand on basically the torches yep. that are that are lighting the the central chamber um, the the building that they're in yep. and personally knocks each of them over it's convenient well i should say inconvenient that there's hay everywhere because of course that all just immediately erupts into flame and she ends up kind of one by one knocking them over bursting the entire place into flame she's in the middle of it and you realize she's going to survive this yep the calls are not they're all dead they are all dead. The whole place is burnt up. She walks out naked again because, you know, her clothes get burnt, mm-hmm. right? Like, you know, she can't necessarily prevent that from happening. But she is unscathed. Mm-hmm. 
and walks out of the fire for a second time in this series. And everybody bows to her. Right. Because she is basically in charge now. She just killed everybody in the temple who had any authority whatsoever. And oh, by the way, she's kind of godlike. Yeah. And you see the old lady that was supposed to, the, the leader of the Dash Kaleen, she's the first to bow. Everyone else follows her, her, um, her lead. And then, uh, Jorah and Darian come up and they both get to the front. They bow. And then you see Jorah still sneaking a second peek because this is the first time he's ever seen her naked since, well, since she came out of the first fire. <laughs> I, I didn't catch that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and this is the first time that Dario is like, oh, wait, she's not just the hot chick I've been banging. She's actually something special. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that That was, again... Badass, total, total badass. Yep. And a little behind the scenes. So the the woman who plays um, uh, uh, Daenerys Targaryen had already put it in her contract that there were going to be no more nude scenes. So when they went and wrote this, they had to specifically like ask her, hey, can we do this? And the way they presented it to her, she said it was okay because if it was in the storyline, it was not just gratuitous nudity. Mm-hmm. Um and yeah, plus it makes her look like a total badass. So yeah, she she did this scene. Um and this is I mean, if you if you thought Danny was just some random character that had some dragons before, you have now that 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 belief is squashed. You understand that Danny is special. And as she is threatening all of the Dothraki men who are threatening her you know she's threatening them back saying i will be in charge and they're laughing and laughing i'm thinking oh she'll summon her dragons somehow no 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 just her own badass self thank you very much that's all she needed yeah and again richard we we've uh, jenny and i have mentioned before that that Danny's trials, she goes through highs and lows, highs and lows and highs and lows, and that it hadn't stopped yet. And she went through this low where she was basically a, a, a captor of, uh, of the Kalasars. And now she's on the top again. And now she owns the entire Dothraki people. Mm-hmm. Like you don't get much lower than being the, recipient of whatever they want to give her to being so high as, you know, it's just, it's remarkable. It's remarkable. The ups and downs of this, this woman's journey. Yeah, absolutely. So really two cool episodes, another great pair to talk together about again. Mm -hmm. I say that every time and you keep on telling me that at some point in time, the pairing doesn't matter as much. I don't know when that's going to happen. Because this is still working, and I love that we're doing this. I need to get us out of here, though, because we're going really long this time. So yeah. any final thoughts, Anthony? <sighs> I'm glad to see Danny back on top, and I'm really looking forward to the end of this season because it's ridiculous. It's so awesome. It's so amazing. There's okay. scenes that you will not believe they wrote. Okay, I am I am eager, 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 and loving this every time we're doing this because, again, that third and fourth season they were hard to get through. 
This is amazing. <laughs> Loving it. Anthony, how can people hear more of your thoughts on stuff that isn't related to Game of Thrones? Ritualmisery.com. Just cruise on by there and everything that I do is centered somewhere on that site. And do you have some social presence somewhere? I know you do. I know it has some weird name that isn't your real name. Right, because that's that's how I do things. At Ethan Kane, E-T-H-A-N-C-A-I-N-E on Twitter. How about you, Richard? You you yeah, took kind of the opposite uh, approach. On Twitter <laughs> at Richard Gunther. It's easy. It's just my name. So you can go there and hear about me. And if you want to hear me talk about smart home tech, you can listen to my show Home On. If you want to hear me talk about media and cord cutting and stuff like that, you can listen to my show Entertainment 2.0. And I want to give a nod to Jenny, who is not here, but uh, she is also on Twitter as something that I can't recall at the uh, uh, Jenny J23. Without looking at it? Jenny J23. Jenny J23. Jenny with, oh, an, Jenny with an IE. All right. And I want you, the listener, to go check out her latest new endeavor, Very Old Dad, an amazing podcast of highest, highest quality and great storytelling and very personal. And I can't give it enough stars. Yep. And of course, um, you can let us know what you think about this podcast at let's talk about thrones at gmail.com. And we'll do that again in, you know, a week or so. Yeah. So until then, we'll talk to you later. When we talk about thrones. Ooh, you should do like trailers or something. <laughs> Hey, you guys, wait. Before we keep going, sorry, I'm making you have to edit. I have to go. I apologize profusely. We'll explain later. Bye. <laughs>